Good morning, good afternoon, que pasa, mi amigos, me llamo Wendell Wallace, standing amongst the tallest, here to talk about a podcast named Wendell's World in Sports, a show talking about what is happening on the basketball of courts, the football of fields, to reveal my thoughts and opinions and other worldly dimensions about what is happening in the everyday of college basketball, my Georgetown Hoyas and the NBA, to talk about who's doing poorly, who's doing well in college football and the NFL for Monsieur's. And my Mademoiselles. Born and raised from the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, M.D., this skillful sports talking MC will take you on a sports field expedition that will leave you with no other decision than to make listening to Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast, your main mission. Treasure the pleasure together as I discuss the important sports topics that are a must and crush and destroy it like the New England Patriots or Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. TJ, watch out for the next episode and make sure you download, subscribe with great pride so people will highly rate along with giving great reviews to create clues for people to follow so this podcast can remain the king like LeBron through yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, rip, roaring, and ready to go, talking about what is happening in the world of sports. Before I get into that, just a programming note that you would if you're watching this episode on YouTube. I thank you very much. And here's what I need for you to do. If you could just go ahead and push subscribe on my YouTube channel, I would appreciate it. If you could go ahead while you're watching this video, after you finish watching this video, if you could push that like button. If you even want to leave a comment, hey man, the more the merrier. I would definitely appreciate that. And if you're not watching this on YouTube and you're listening to this on anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts, I want you to go ahead and I want you to download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good abend, bonjour, bonsoir, konnichiwa, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, namaste, que paso, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Special dedication for those listening on Spotify, on iTunes, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast. And thank you very much for going ahead and listening and watching this YouTube episode. I really much appreciate it. This is going to be a condensed, this is going to be a little bit shorter than I uh, normally would do in terms of the um, podcast that I normally put out. Just came back from Cabo, just came back on a nice cruise, so I'm still in relaxation mode. Just, uh, just a simple note, everyone in their lives should take a cruise. Unless you are severely seasick or something like that, everybody, 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 should take a cruise. It's the greatest thing that can ever happen to you as far as vacation is concerned, as far as relaxation is concerned. It was just a uh, just a beautiful, beautiful time going from LAX, going from Long Beach all the way down to Cabo, spending a couple of days down there, then heading back up. So had the opportunity to watch the basketball games, not in the comforts of my humble abode here in northwest Las Vegas, Nevada, but uh, had the opportunity while uh, sipping on a couple of um, Long Island iced teas and some soda, while eating some burgers and fries and shrimp tacos and shrimp burritos to uh, take a look and watch the game. So I'm just going to give you my thoughts and opinions about what my feelings are concerning the first couple of games of the NBA playoffs, both in the Western Conference and in the Eastern Conference. On my next podcast, I'm going to get into the NFL draft that's going to be happening next Thursday. So I'll 
recap what's happening in the NBA playoffs as we move along, and then I'll go ahead and start talking about the NFL draft, who's going to be first, who's going to be second, what team needs to draft who, what team is going to be looking at the quarterback situation, which team, whether it be Carolina or whoever, is going to reach for Malik Willis, what you talking about, Willis, in the first round, or Kenny Pickett, or one of the quarterbacks, I'm going to be speaking about all of those things, but that's going to be on my next podcast. Today, for my podcast, though, man, I'm going to be sitting here, and I'm going to be sitting there, and I'm going to be talking about what's happening in the NBA playoffs. When I was speaking before on my last podcast about the teams that needed to show some things, some teams that needed to do something, some teams that uh, were at the... Um, we're at the forefront in terms of having the most pressure on them. I thought the, I thought my opinion of the Philadelphia 76ers, my choice, shall we say, of that team being the team that had the most pressure on them when you're speaking about the shortcomings of James Harden in the playoffs, when you speak about the underachievement over the last couple of years as the head coach, Doc Rivers, not just with the Philadelphia 76ers in his first year, but also with the L.A. Clippers in two incarnations of teams that were uh, projected to do a lot of things in the playoffs. The team with CP3 and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, they underachieve, and then the team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George underachieving in the playoffs. Stock goes to the 76ers, had the opportunity to uh, Work with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons had the best record in the Eastern Conference, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and losing in the Eastern Conference semifinals to the Atlanta Hawks and all that hullabaloo and all that other nonsense that's been discussed to death about Ben Simmons in his last game with the 76ers and his last series with the 76ers and all those type of things. But with the acquisition of James Harden, this was a this was a point of discussion to where what are we going to be getting from the Philadelphia 76ers and going into the playoffs against a feisty against a under um, against an underwhelming talent wise when compared against the 76ers the Toronto Raptors the team from the north we thought because of their length we thought because of their athleticism that uh, this would be an excellent opportunity if you're looking for an upset in the first round of the playoff that uh, you would be looking at the number five seeded Toronto Raptors pulling off the upset over the number four seeded Philadelphia 76ers now two games in we're only halfway through the series but through the first two games the 76ers have been absolutely awesome uh, destroying embarrassing steamrolling running over running around the Toronto Raptors and it's not been so much about James Harden. James Harden has been underwhelming as far as a shooter is concerned. As a facilitator and setting up everybody, he's been tremendous. But as a shooter, especially at the three-point line, he's still been underwhelming. But if Joel Embiid, if Joel Embiid's going to play like this, lights out in the first round against the injury-depleted Toronto Raptors, I mean, this is a guy in Embiid who has been absolutely dominant. I've always said that even when LeBron was doing his thing, even when Kawhi Leonard was healthy, even when Steph was winning back-to-back MVPs, even when, you know, the big men or the trend of big men being dominant and being real candidates for players that could be considered franchise players at the highest of highs because of the game stretching more to a small ball type of three-point type of shooting type of league. Even when that incarnation of the NBA was going on and even when as I mentioned before the LeBrons and the Steph Curry's and the Kawhi Leonard's and these six seven six eight six six guys who could uh, be versatile in terms of three and D guys and being that type of wing player I, I've always felt that the big men still had a still had a place and a very important place a highly responsible place in being in the NBA, even though it seemed like the Houston Rockets were determined to see what they could do about winning a championship with all of their players being somewhere between 6'3 and 6'7 and shooting nothing but three-point shots. And we spoke about the power forwards, and we spoke about the centers, whether they were the traditional centers as far as the height and physicality is concerned, or maybe small ball centers who are around the 6'8, 6'9", but uh, had uber athleticism for their size and for their position to where they could go out on the perimeter and guard the guard the um, the guards who were three point shooters forwards who were drivers having that type of versatility. Joel Embiid 
while not your traditional, traditional, traditional back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s type of uh, center, if you're speaking about Will Chamberneasy, if you're speaking about uh, Bill Russell, if you're speaking about a Bill Walton type, if you're speaking about the David Robinson, Akeem Elijah, Patrick Ewing, even though Patrick Ewing, who's now coach of America's team, Georgetown Hoyas, even though he was a guy that established himself as 12 to 15 to 18 foot jump shot, this was still a guy who was making his money putting on his uh, show in the paint. Well, Joel Embiid, a guy who's seven feet tall, a guy who is dominant, as I always mentioned before, when he feels like playing, when he wants to play, when he wants to be dominant, there's always a situation of, is this guy going to be healthy enough to play and is this guy going to be mature enough, focused enough to go ahead and really dive into and use all of his skills and abilities to be the best player in the NBA. It was almost like a situation where it was Dwight Howard. Now, Dwight Howard never learned how to play offense, but it was a situation where if Dwight would stop clowning, if Dwight would stop being a fool, if Dwight really wanted to take his game to another level and be fully professional, dominant, and serious about his profession, which was NBA basketball, he would learn a jump shot. He would learn a back-to-the-basket move. He would learn a jump hook. But Dwight never took that end of the offense serious enough or never took that uh, part of the game serious enough to monitor or to garner that type of uh, accolades that come with a center who can do both on the defensive end, be dominant, and on the offensive end, be able to score points. Joel Embiid now has finally put everything together in terms of what he can be on the defensive side of the floor and now the offensive side of the floor and the fact that he's staying healthy. Of course, one of the concerns for Philadelphia is almost like uh, the concerns that the Phoenix Suns and other teams had with Chris Paul is that, uh, yeah, when he's playing, when he's focused, when he's ready, when he's enthused, he can be, he can have a great impact on the series, on the game, on the uh, outcome of the game. But because of injury, how long are we going to be able to have our, our guy be this dominant. It was like that with Chris Paul for years. It was like that with uh, Joel Embiid, not just with injuries, but also with conditioning. See, now that Joel Embiid, the light has finally come on, and it's almost like, hey, look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm almost not looking to see what um, James Harden is going to do. I'm not looking to see exactly how James Harden is going to perform. I'm going to be the guy that's going to put this team on my back and lead it to a championship. Now, if James wants to be in the front seat giving directions, or he wants to be in the back seat lounging and sleeping, that's fine. But we're going to Championshipville, and James Harden is not driving this Chevy. James Harden is not driving this Honda. James Harden is not driving this vehicle. I am. And I'm going to be the one that's going to take us there. And his play in the first two series, his demeanor, his first two series against the uh, Toronto Raptors has shown that in this scenario so far early on in the NBA playoff season for the Philadelphia 76ers that Joel Embiid means business. Wendell's World of Sports the Podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. We also can't forget when we're speaking about the 76ers who I'm going to concentrate on mainly because, as I mentioned before, when there were questions and people were looking for the sexy pick in terms of who's going to surprise. And really, if you take a look at the storyline, now that the Los Angeles Lakers are no longer playing basketball, their season's over because they missed the playoffs in entirety. But when you're speaking about now uh, storylines in terms of what we can sink our teeth into, I think, you know, you have teams like the Brooklyn Nets, and I think right behind them or even right on the same par with them in terms of juicy storylines that you can really sink your teeth into and get folks really interested in with these playoff scenarios was, is the Philadelphia 76ers in terms of what's going to be happening if they go ahead and they lose in the first round. This was the story. This was the storytelling. This was the waterfront cooler. This was the barbershop type of thoughts and opinions and conversations. What exactly is going to happen with the Philadelphia 76ers? What's going to be happening with the extension of James Harden? What's going to be happening with the coaching tenure of Doc Rippers? What's going to be happening with this team if the 76ers do lose in the first round to the Toronto Raptors? 
So far through two games on their home course, Tyrese Maxey has been outstanding. James Harden has been an excellent facilitator. Joel Joel Embiid has been dominant. Tobias Harris has played his best basketball so far of the season as a group, as a whole, with or without James Harden. So far in these playoffs, the Philadelphia 76ers have played their best basketball of the season. There was a wide range of where we were going to go with the 76ers this playoff season. They could win the championship, they could lose in the first round of the playoffs, and anything else in between. So far, they look like a team that, now of course, you're speaking about Toronto. You're speaking about bad matchups when you're speaking about the uh, players for Toronto guarding Joel Embiid. You're, you're, you're speaking about now a team without Scotty Barnes, who uh, had an ankle injury in the first game against the 76ers, even though they were getting blown out. I, I don't know how much more of an impact that having Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent being 100% or being close to 100% without having that illness. I don't, I don't know how much that improved the chances of the Raptors even going back to the Great White North, but um, if the 76ers are going to be locked in like this, if Maxi is going to provide the second-tier scoring offensive impact that he has, they don't need to have James Harden be the James Harden that many people were hoping that they were getting when the 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets made that trade. They don't, they don't need, at least in this series, they don't need to be hoping and praying that the James Harden, who was a top 7, top 8, top 12 guy at the very worst in the NBA, and at his peak was no worse than 3rd or 4th in terms of the best players in the league, we don't need to see that James Harden. If Tyrese Maxey is going to play like this, if Danny Green is going to be able to shoot the ball and play defense like he's doing, if Tobias Harris is going to blend in, in the offense and being that third and fourth option and be the um, benefactor of James Harden's excellent uh, ball handling and decision-making from the point guard position. We don't need to have James Harden go flipping nuts. We don't need to have James Harden score 37 with 13 assists and eight rebounds and, and that type of thing. We could even allow James Harden to play mediocre defense at the very uh, the very best, and the Philadelphia 76ers will still be moving on and moving on. So, so far, two games into the series. As I mentioned before, man, it's only two games. What I'm speaking about with all of these series, except for as I'm uh, recording this now, you have – as I'm watching the game, you have the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'll get to them in a second. And they also have the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks playing. But for the most part, you take a look at the Dallas-Utah series. That series is tied one all. You take a look at the 76ers and the um, 76ers and the Toronto Raptors series. That's 2-0. You take a look at the Phoenix Suns up one game over the um, New Orleans Pelicans. You take a look at uh, some of these other games that I'll be getting into a little bit later. Um, just just starting. Just starting. And one thing about the road to an NBA championship, there's going to be some ups, there's going to be some downs, there's going to be some hard times, there's going to be some doubts. There's going to be all of those type of things. The Nuggets and the Warriors, forgot about them. Their, their series going back to Denver, Golden State, up two games to uh, nothing. So far, I mean, maybe with the exception of the Brooklyn-Boston games, uh, not not too many games that have stood out in terms of, wow, unbelievable, fantastic. The Boston-Brooklyn game was uh, one of the uh, recently all-time greats in terms of playoff basketball is concerned. Can't wait to see what type of show that Kyrie and KD and Jason Tatum is going to put on on Wednesday when they go back for game two. And I, I really want to address, look, it's, it's only one game. And, you know, the storyline coming out of the Brooklyn-Boston game one was whoever wins this game one is going to have some type of huge mental advantage moving forward because you lose a game like this for Brooklyn in a situation where they might collapse a la what the Phoenix Suns did long ago against the San Antonio Spurs when Phoenix up by three. That was the team that had Shaq and um, I forgot the other players on that team. Going up against Tim Duncan, Monty Ginobili, and the fellas, when Shaq first came over, was traded to the uh, Phoenix Suns. It was a situation in the, the, uh, in the playoffs where 
uh, Tim Duncan made a three-point shot off balance, kind of like threw it up there and hoped and prayed. Ball went in. San Antonio won in overtime, and the series, in all intent purposes, kind of ended there. Phoenix never recovered from that gut, gut punch to uh, send them into overtime in game one. And I, I don't think this is a situation where Brooklyn, they're going to be facing that when you have a player like Kevin Durant, who's a multiple-time champion and as great as he is, when you have someone like a Kyrie Irving, whether it's man, whether he made these mountains out of molehills by himself or not, that this is also a guy who I think strives in adverse conditions, adverse situations, whether he put them there himself on purpose. But, you know, I think you're speaking about another NBA champion who is going to uh, come back and respond to this. I don't think Brooklyn is going to crumble over the weight of losing that game one, even though the last two defensive possessions for Brooklyn left a lot to be desired as great as Kevin Durant is and is going to be and is still um, the defensive uh, effort by both him and Kyrie Irving at the end of that game. Durant losing his man, Kyrie not rotating on the cut by Jason Tatum. Uh, in that particular instance, cost the Brooklyn Nets the opportunity to win that basketball game in terms of some stagnated offense at the last offensive possession for Brooklyn, which allowed Boston to uh, get the ball with the ability to go ahead and win that basketball game. But but as I mentioned before, this is a situation where, look, man, it's only one game. It's tough, it sucked, it's terrible, but it's only one game. And when you have the playoff mantle, and when you have the playoff experience, and when you have the skill, and when you have the moxie, when you have the balls, when you have the intestinal fortitude of the wars that Kevin Durant and, and I hate to use the word war, that's a stupid, that's a stupid the word. When you have the uh, the playoff series of such high competitive level um, competition that those guys have been having throughout their careers, one game against the Boston Celtics in a situation that ended like that is not going to deter the Brooklyn Nets from still making this a series. So I'm not saying that the Brooklyn Nets are going to win this series, but I'm not also saying that this this is a the game one against the Boston Celtics was somehow a turning point in terms of having a huge advantage for Boston over overcoming this. And I, and I also think that even if Brooklyn would have won that uh, game one, I don't think it would have been such a huge deal for, for Boston either. Another team that has, you know, gone through some things in terms of the ups to the downs. They haven't won a championship yet, but, you know, they, they, they've been in those competitive uh, situations. They've, they've been in those competitive series against the Cleveland Cavaliers of Le- LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and um, Kevin Love and such. They, 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 they've been through the bubble where, you know, they were kind of undressed and taken to school by the more experienced Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat of that time. So I think either way, I'm just going to be settling in for a six or seven game series between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics, which is going to be quite enjoyable and uh, quite uh, quite delicious to, to uh, go ahead and feast your eyes on. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Here's the deal, though. You have Kyrie Irving flipping off fans. Is that kosher? Is that correct? Is that the right thing to do? Well, listening to the Inside the NBA guys, and I was listening to uh, Charles Barkley, and I was listening to um, Shaquille O'Neal give their thoughts and opinions about that, and it's just their thoughts and opinions, and then make them right or wrong. My opinion, if I counteract or if I go ahead and disagree with what they're saying, doesn't make me right or wrong. It's their opinion. It's my opinion. You could have the same opinion as me. You could not have the same opinion as me. Doesn't make you better. Doesn't make me better. Doesn't make you dumber. Doesn't make me smarter. Doesn't make me greater. Doesn't make you lesser of a human being. Just an opinion. So, hey, you know what? Don't get bit out of shape. My thoughts and feelings is that um, with Kyrie Irving, yeah, you, you don't want to be going too demonstrative in terms of going back at the fans, you know, flipping off, giving the middle giving the middle finger and that type of thing. Look, man, I mean, whether you're speaking about going to a football game, whether you're speaking about going to a hockey game, whether you're speaking about going to a baseball or NBA game, if you've been to enough sporting events, you, you know the language, you know the venom, you know the vocabulary, you know the sentences and the phrases that these uh, fans, some of these fans, are going to be throwing at these players. If you're a uh, person who has a young child and you don't want to, them to be exposed to some of the language and some of the attitudes and some of the behaviors, 
You don't want to take them to a sporting event, especially in some of the more historically great fan bases. You know, you don't want to be taking a child to the to an Oakland Raider game where they were playing in Oakland. You don't want to take them down to the black hole. You don't want to take your um, your 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 son or your daughter to those type of sporting events where you know that you're going to be, you know, being around people who are going to be cursing, who are going to be using foul language, who are going to be making vile, sometimes racist, sometimes disgusting uh, uh, remarks toward a toward a player. So because of that, you know. Kyrie Irving, you know what? My, my deal is that if you're going to be, if you're going to be that pissed off at what people are saying about you and the fans enough to flip them the double bird and do all those type of things and go back at them, and uh, it doesn't affect the way that you play the basketball game. In fact, in fact, it enhances the way you play the basketball game. Hey, man! Outside of Ron Harpering in the uh, the malice at the palace. And outside of, uh, you know, unzipping your uh, or pulling down your pants and urinating on the fans, hey, man, if that's going to be able to make you play at the level that you played at for the uh, game one against Boston, man, you can do all type of flipping off and you can do all type of fucks use and you can, go all, you can do all the shut the fucks up and pussy-ass bitches. You, as much as the fans are going to give it to you, fuck you, bitch, punk-ass bitch, and all those type of things, all those vile, disgusting things that these fans, some of these fans, the minute nor a minority of fans are going to be seeing the Kyrie Irving. I mean, if you can take that anger, if you can take that hatred, if you can take that passion from those fans in a negative way of what they're throwing it back at you and then turn that around and throw it back at them and then that enhances your game to play at the level that you played at in game one? Man, if I'm the owner, if I'm the GM, if I'm the coach, if I'm the players, man, I'll take a, I'll, I'll, I'll pass around a, 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 a plate and collect the money for the fines that you have to pay the NBA. I think he was fined $50,000 for the uh, obscene gestures and comments that Kyrie Irving had in game one against the Celtics. If that's going to way, if that's the way that you're going to be playing, hey, man, flip off as many people as you want to, you know, uh, th that type of thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't, man. You know, as I mentioned before, you don't want to go in there, you don't want to physically assault somebody, or you don't want to uh, hop into the stands, you don't want to do any of that nonsense. Now, that's definitely crossing over the line. But if you want to, you know, if you're at the baseline or you're underneath the basket, if you're waiting to come into the game at you're at the scores table and you hear somebody saying, you know, hey, Kyrie, you're a punk-ass bitch, you sorry-ass motherfucker, I'll whip your fucking head out of some nonsense like that, then if I'm Steve Nash to keep Kyrie at that level of what he was playing at in game one, I'm going to say, hey, man, Kyrie, you're going to let those motherfuckers get away with that shit? <laughs> no, 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 stay on the court, stay on the court, stay on the court. Just tell them to go fuck themselves. Don't do anything crazy. I think Kyrie Irving's maturity level, he's at the uh, level where he's not going to do that. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, when I go to a sporting event, when I went to a sporting event and I wanted to be an asshole, the, the worst thing I would say was, hey, look, man, you know, um, for instance, if I was uh, – if I was a Boston Celtics fan in that in that situation, and look, Kyrie, Boston Celtics, the organization, the fan base, acrimonious type of uh, breakup when Kyrie at the beginning of the season, his last season with Boston, made that commercial talking about, yeah, this is where I want to spend my entire career, and this is great. And then Kyrie went Kyrie, and at the time, you're speaking about guys like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and... Jason Tatum and, 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 and those guys, and they were young in their careers, and Kyrie was supposed to be the, the leader of that team, and Kyrie with a unique quirkiness to his personality. When he was with the, uh, when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they had Richard Jefferson, and they had Channing Frye, and they had LeBron, and they had uh, Kevin Love, and they had a, a, a roster full of experienced players. I mean, there would be situations where Kyrie wouldn't speak to his teammates for days. Now, when he was with, when he was with Cleveland and then when he was traded to Boston. I mean, that's who why we have no idea. Just Kyrie being Kyrie. With a veteran-laden squad 
when he was on the Cleveland Cavaliers, I mean, those guys were just like, whatever. If you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. Just show up for the game and do your thing. I, 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 I don't care. I got a wife and a couple of kids, and I'm building my brand, and I got – I got everything else, man. I I we I don't need to be chummy chummy with this guy. I don't need to be best friends with this guy. I don't need to be breaking bread with this guy. I don't need to be naming my first child after this guy. Hey, man, we're here to win a championship. And if Kyrie can play at the level that he's playing at, if he can be a positive contributor, if he can live up to the roles and responsibility of winning a championship, I don't care if he talks to me. <laughs> you know, but Boston, when you're speaking about when he came to Boston, he had these young guys and. Tatum or Smart or Brown or something like that would see Kyrie and walking down the hall or going to the practice gym or whatever, and they would say, good morning, what's up, what's going on? And Kyrie would ignore them or not say anything to them or not even recognize their presence. In Cleveland, with those veterans, they'd be like, yeah, whatever. In Boston, those young cats were like, Whoa, what's up with this guy? Is he mad at me or something? Did I do something wrong? What's going on? What's up with this guy? So that helped at the time with that young group and you're speaking about, you know, in consecutive drafts getting a Jalen Brown who was projected, who was drafted to be one of the faces of the franchise. When you're speaking about the drafting of Jason Tatum, these were going to be the guys that they were trying to groom, that the organization was trying to groom to be that tandem that could lead Boston to multiple, multiple opportunities to win a championship. And Kyrie was supposed to be that that leader, that NBA champion, one of the best players in the game. I was going to kind of show them the way of how it was was supposed to be done. So when he had that quirky attitude, it was just like, man, what the hell? Which led to a lot of dysfunction, which led to basically a team that the fan base really didn't like. So the breakup, so the divorce between the Celtics organization and fan base, everything that accumulated during that time of negativity, which caused Kyrie to then go to the Brooklyn Nets along with his two buddies, DeAndre Jordan, now since departed, and Kevin Durant, led to a lot of hard feelings from the Boston Celtics fan base. So you can understand their venom. You can understand their outrage. You can understand their anger toward Kyrie Irving. It's almost like they took it personal. I mean, this wasn't a situation where he was traded. This wasn't a situation where, you know, he – he it was something where they could understand what happened in terms of, well, we really didn't need him, we really didn't want him. At the end of the uh, season where they were embarrassed by the Milwaukee Bucks and you had Kyrie trying to guard Giannis Adenikupo and basically um, – check out of that series. By that time, the Celtics were like, hey, look, Kyrie, I'll drive you to the airport myself. In fact, since you, since you think the world is flat, I'll drive you to the end of the earth and push you over because we're just sick and tired of you. All of that angst, all of that anger, all of that uh, consternation, all of those things have been brewing with the Celtics fans, their fan base, and Kyrie Irving. So I just, I just love the fact that Irving is – giving it as much as he's getting it, man. And, that, and it, like it, like he said, for the most part, if if you're yelling out those type of things, if you're yelling out, oh, it's easy for, as I mentioned before, for me, it would be a situation with Kyrie, like, hey, Marcus Smart is, you know, you can't, you can't handle Marcus Smart. You can't stop ha- You can't stop Marcus Smart. You never should have left us. We're going to win a championship before you. I mean, that's the type of bullshit. That's the type, type of stupid shit that I would probably say. I'm not getting to any comments about his wife or his children, even if he has any, or his father or his sisters or his religion or anything like that or the fact that he's not vaccinated. I'm, I'm leaving all of that nonsense alone. If I'm going to heckle, if I'm going to try to get into, if I, if I, if I, if I, if I feel, if I really feel the need and the urge to be an asshole and say those type of things and do those type of things. You know, I'll just say that, hey, man, you can't stop Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart shutting you down. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, man, you never should have left Boston. You could have won a championship with us. And now we're going to go ahead with the greatest tandem since Jordan and Pippen from as far as forwards and guards are concerned with the with the duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, this generation, Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, we're going to be the ones that are going to be winning championships. We're going to be the reason why you don't win a championship. You never should have lost Boston. You never should have left Boston, and now we're going to stick it to you. Go Celtics, go. That would be my, that would be my stuff directed at Kyrie Irving. And if you're sitting there and you're talking, as I mentioned before, about you know vile, disgusting stuff, then you know basically you're a punk bitch. 
I mean, if you're really going to say the thing, Kyrie, you're a pussy. Kyrie, we fucking hate you and all that. that you know what? You're, you're nothing more than a punk bitch. You must, you're, not, you're a cowardly punk bitch. Because Lord knows, Lord knows, and Russell Westbrook has said this many times, all the shit that he hears from the fans, all the personal shit that he hears from the fans, all of the disrespect he hears from the fans, Lord knows if those, if Russell Westbrook met 99.9% .9 of the people on the street that call him all of these vile, disgusting, ignorant, racist, disgusting things, there ain't no way in hell that these cowards, that these punk bitches would say anything close to Russell Westbrook on the street, to what they would say to him in the arena. There is no, I mean, the high majority of folks that say this type of stupidity, that say this type of venom, that say these disgusting things to these athletes, there is no way that you would say these things to them in their face, man to man, or woman to man. You're just basically being a punk-ass bitch. You're basically being what you are. If you really feel the need to do that, I remember when David Wells was a pitcher with the... Um, New York Yankees, he was talking about in a playoff game and he was warming up to a pitch against the uh, Cleveland then called Indians that they had, as he was warming up in the bullpen before they started the game, you had Cleveland fans making jokes and making disgusting and vile comments about his son, about his young son who had died, I think, recently, uh, at, at the time, had done, uh, infant son who had recently died. And, and you have these people making these disgusting remarks. I remember when Juan Dixon was playing for the University of Maryland, and if you don't know Juan Dixon's backstory, 6-3 guard, University of Maryland, Gary, Gary Williams' team, the last time that Maryland won an NCAA championship, first-round draft pick in the, uh, in the NBA, played a few years. Now I think he's the coach at uh, Coppin State. He's one of the coaches in the MEAC. He, they, Maryland at the time, and this was in the 90s, was playing against the University of Virginia. And um, the backstory for Juan Dixon was his parents or his mom had AIDS or something like that. I think she died from AIDS or one of those, uh, one of those diseases. So as he's walking off the court against Virginia, some jackass, some piece of shit from the student body was yelling out something about his mom dying of AIDS or cancer like that. Now, now, now you know. Now, you, you, you know. I don't give a damn who you are, for the most part. There might be folks who think they're bold enough, bad enough, stupid enough to think that, you know what, I can go up to Juan Dixon on the street or whatever and say that, say that type of uh, shit to him. I'm going to guess the motherfucker who said that shit to Juan Dixon would never, ever, ever, say some shit like that to him on the street where Juan Dixon could then retaliate. It just shows what a punk-ass piece of shit bitch that that motherfucker was to say some shit like that. And any of these fans, and they're not all, but these pieces of shit who want to throw things at a fan or th throw things at a player and do those type of things, they're punk bitches. And I like when Kyrie Irving said, you know, a lot of times I could take a look at them in the face and ask and see if they're really about it and the high majority of time they're not. So, you know, I, 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 like, I, and I mentioned before, you know, Shaquille O'Neal was speaking about, you know, Bill Russell got called everything in the book when he was playing basketball and he didn't retaliate. So if he's not going to retaliate, that means that these players who are uh, getting heckled and verbally abused, that they shouldn't do that either. They shouldn't, they shouldn't comment. They shouldn't react to uh, what these folks are saying. Well, you know what, thank you very much, Mr. Russell, for giving us the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, man, uh, I'm not going to be taking that shit. Again, don't be hopping into the stands. Don't be causing any physical harm. Don't be doing those type of things. Don't get yourself in trouble to where you're going to be arrested for uh, a felonious assault or an assault battery or something like that. But you're going to try to tell me that these guys can't do some type of, re of responding? You can't do that. And, and it's funny because I remember, remember this stuff about Reggie Miller and, or I don't know if you're even old enough to remember the Spike Lee, Reggie Miller game five where the New York Knicks were playing the Indiana Pacers at the, um, at Madison Square Garden. And Spike was just talking a whole lot of mess and a whole lot of trash to uh, Reggie Williams and Reggie Williams, Reggie Miller 
and Miller just kind of just took it to another gear, and he was making shots that uh, Steph Curry and Damian Lillard were had been shooting now for the past eight or ten years. I mean, Miller was way out there back in the day where you weren't even thinking about taking those type of shots, let alone making those type of shots. And uh, Spike took a lot of grief in the New York papers and New York Knicks fans. And at the time, me being a huge Patrick, Knicks, uh, Patrick Ewing fan, it took a lot of grief from me because I was yelling at the TV over at my brother at Mikel Davis's house. We were watching the game, and here's Reggie Miller. The Knicks had the lead, and here's Reggie Miller talking shit. And you, you could just see the game from Reggie Miller elevate, elevate, elevate as he was making shots and everybody in the state or the arena was like oh shit and I was up there at the TV yelling shut up Spike shut up you're not you're not helping you're hurting so maybe a maybe a situation for the Boston Celtics fans maybe you might want to leave Kyrie alone just a little bit because if he's going to play at that level if you heckle him uh, my advice would be to shut the fuck up because we don't need Kyrie Irving going off like that again so, uh, <laughs> Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. So, the series between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics is going to be quite juicy, as we say. Uh, let me see. Miami right now doing their thing against the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta is playing much better. John Collins has returned, but uh, we'll see what happens in Game 3. When you speak about... The series such as Phoenix and New Orleans, Miami and the uh, Atlanta Hawks, maybe even the situation with, um, what other, what other, well, you know, Minnesota and Memphis, Minnesota ahead of that series, one nothing. Not going to take too much from that. Uh, Anthony Edwards had a coming out party in the playoffs, which was fantastic. 36 points. It's, it, it's, it's the when you speak about the number two Memphis Grizzlies going up against the number seven seeded Minnesota Timberwolves. It's all about the bravado bowl, the talking shit bowl, in terms of you know when you're speaking about confidence, when you're speaking about swag, when you're speaking about chip on their shoulder, when you're speaking about that uh, you know that urban confidence of those two squads. It's just you, know, you got Patrick Beverly. You've got now a little a little bit more mouthy, a little bit more sticking your chest out. Carl Anthony Towns who had, had a who's who's had a tremendous season. You have the supreme alpha alpha male, high confidence type guy in Anthony Edwards going up against a team in Memphis that doesn't mind talking trash, knows how to talk trash, has players like John Morant, has players like Jaron Jackson Junior, has players like Desmond Bain who can uh, dish it as much as they can take it. So uh, this is a situation where I think that Memphis is going to even up the series. We'll, get to, we'll go to games three and four and, and, and see what happens. Um, that'll be a pretty good series. How about the how about the Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks? Utah and Dallas, that series is tied one-to-one -one after Dallas coming back and winning game two. Jalen Brunson going 15 for 25 from the field, 40-something points. <sighs> I don't know what to make about the Utah Jazz anymore, man. I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. This, this is almost a team where I, they don't like playing with each other. I think this is a situation where they know that at all intent and purposes, this run of the group of players that they have is going to be over at the end of the season. I, I, I don't really believe that they think that they can really do anything in the playoffs. I, I just don't, I, I think that, yes, they can go ahead and beat Dallas somewhat. I think they're somewhat confident. But I think deeper in their hearts, and I think it's kind of affecting the way that they're playing. I don't know, man. I could be wrong. Playing, uh, playing you know, rocking chair psychiatrist. But um, the way those guys are playing right now, I just feel that they're, they're like, look, you know what, if we lose this series to Dallas, without question, this team is going to be blown up. Danny Ainge came in this season. Uh, he doesn't have any ties to us. He doesn't have any type of, uh, you know, relationship with us. You know, his resume is not tied to us. We don't know about the Quinn Snyder situation. We don't know Quinn Snyder, despite being one of the uh, better coaches in the NBA, even in a situation like this. I mean, how long is Quinn Snyder? I know that he signed a contract extension, but Quinn Snyder is not the – Quinn Snyder wasn't brought in by Danny Ainge. 
And if you're Quinn Snyder, when is it time to say, hey, you know what, man, maybe it's time for me to do something else in terms of coaching another basketball team? There's, there's only a minute, um, there's only a one Greg Popovich who's going to stay with one organization for as long as he's had. I mean, how many teams did uh, Phil Jackson coach? How many teams was he involved in in terms of coaching and being uh, a decision maker of putting a team together? And here's a guy who won, what, 12 championships? I mean, Rick Carlisle, one of the better coaches for the majority of his tenure in Dallas, finally had enough in terms of the relationship between him and Luka and the organization of Mark Cuban. He decided to uh, coach somewhere else. You can win championships and move on to something else. I mean, it's a rare breed of a coach that is of the Greg Popovich nature where you're going to be spending the majority or, you know, the, the, the vast majority of your time in coaching with one organization. He was the assistant coach with Golden State, then moved over to be the GM of the San Antonio Spurs before inserting him, firing Bob Hill, and putting him as the head coach the one year before they got Tim Duncan and the return of Sean Elliott and David Robinson from season-ending injuries, and the rest is history. But uh might be time for Quinn Snyder to maybe think about doing something else and a situation where, look, man, I mean, it's, you know, as I mentioned before, it has nothing to do with Quinn Snyder being a bad coach or anything like that, but sometimes it's just a matter of you just need a fresh start. And I'm guessing, I'm thinking that the Utah Jazz are playing the series like whether we win this series against Dallas, it doesn't matter. We're not going to beat Phoenix, and if we're not going to beat Phoenix, and if Phoenix beats us pretty well, then in all intent and purposes, this team is going to be blown up. I don't think that the relationship with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell is healthy. I just think that it's time for uh, Utah to uh, move in another direction, win or lose against the Mavericks. Now, the Mavericks still without Luka. Uh, we don't know when he's going to be back, but um, – you know, I'll take a look at that series, and I take a look at the same problems for Utah on defense with Gobert out there, the same type of problems that they had in their Western Conference semifinal matchup last season against the Los Angeles Clippers. Maxi Kleba, who's been hitting, what, around 20% of the three-pointers after the All-Star break, made, made, what, like eight out of 11 corner jumpers and wide-open three-point shots. Last night, they had 17 wide-open three-point looks. I mean, Rudy Gobert around the rim, yeah, he can do some things, but Utah doesn't have the perimeter defenders. So when they break down the defense and they get Gobert out of position and his man lose through the three-point arc, then Gobert and probably any other center is not going to have the ability to go out there and really contest those shots. And you take a look at the defender's for Utah, Donovan Mitchell can't guard anybody. Jordan Clarkston can't guard anybody. Royce O'Neal can't guard anybody. Mike Connolly can't guard anybody. I, uh, I, uh, th- th- those guys just can't do it. They can't do it. So moving forward, going back to uh, Utah, now the, the thing is that, that, look, all they need to do is win their home games and they should be fine, correct? But we don't know when Luke is going to be returning. If Luka is going to return, we don't know what type of percentage he's going to be in terms of how effective he can be. He's not going to be the Luka that was one of the top two or three players the second half of the season if he comes back in the immediate uh, in the immediacy of coming back into the series. So, so we don't know. We don't know. But I'll be I'll be watching that and uh, giving you my thoughts and opinions about that. So. That's about it, man. It's about 45, 47, 48 minutes in, and I want to get back to watching some of these NBA games because up next you have the Phoenix Suns and the New Orleans Pelicans, the performance, especially in the fourth quarter that Chris Paul put on in terms of the uh, (laughs) straightaway threes that he was making, setting up others. I think at one point he either scored or assisted on 15 straight points for Phoenix. It was a glorious point god type of performance by one of the greatest point guards who's ever played the game still doing a thing. What a vegan diet can do for somebody. Chris Paul still putting in the work. So I'm going to go ahead and watch that game. Um, Interested to see what Denver had left that performance against the Golden State Warriors. Game two was embarrassing. Steph Curry scored like 75 points in 15 seconds. Klay Thompson, great game. Draymond Green, great defensive game. And I'll end with this. Look, I think Jokic is the MVP of the season. I'm I'm thinking that uh, 
tight race between him, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. But man, I'm watching how effective Draymond Green is against Jokic. And I'm thinking to myself, that wouldn't work against Joel Embiid. I mean, what makes Jokic so great is his mind, his footwork, his uh, ability to see plays two or three steps ahead of his competition, his all-around fundamental skill set. But one thing he's not going to do, he's not going to bruise you. He's not going to pound on you. He's not going to wear on you. He's not going to bruise and beat you up with his physicality. He doesn't have it. Joel Embiid has all of the attributes that Nikola Jokic has. I think Nikola might have uh, more attributes in some areas, but um, Joel Embiid is far, is, is far from being a, a dumb basketball player or not an intelligent basketball player. He is. But Joel, there's, there's no way, especially the way Embiid is playing right now, there's no way Draymond Green would have the same or even close to the same success guarding Embiid as he's having against Jokic. Now, you could take a look and you could take the argument and say, well, you know, Jokic doesn't have anybody. I mean, they're out there trying to rely on Georgetown's own Jeff Green and Bones Highland and Aaron Gordon and, and, and Norris and, and those type of guys while the 76ers have Maxi and Harden and those guys. So you can make an argument that the totality of the team that's on the court when Embiid and Jokic is playing is much different, but I'm just speaking from just a physicality standpoint in terms of, man, what's happening with this? I think that it's clear that, um, yeah, man, Embiid is a different, different breed. All right, I'm out of here. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Remember, once again, you go ahead. No, 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 no breaks either. No musical breaks. I'll get back to that next week. Like I mentioned before, I want to get this out of my system. I want to go back to watching Memphis and Minnesota, the end of Atlanta and the Miami Heat, and then getting ready for New Orleans and the Phoenix Suns. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, boys and girls, remember, fam, please, please do what you can to make sure that you take the time to have conversation from those people of a different race, a different gender, different side of the tracks, different political background, someone who might love someone different than you, someone who might worship a God that you might not worship if they worship a God at all, different part of the globe, different part of the tracks, please, different everything, please have a conversation with them so we can kind of learn, so we can kind of come together, so we can harmonize, we can unify, that we can stop the discrimination, that we can stop the ignorance, that we can stop the stereotypes, that we can stop the stupidity, that we can stop the privilege, that we can stop all of these things that are tearing this country apart in terms of not not just this country, but this world apart in terms of religion, in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of all of those things, can we learn and can we come together and can we start treating people who have love in their hearts for everybody to coalesce and come together so our children and their children and their children can live in a world where we're not dealing with the same bullshit that me and you and others deal with every single day? If we could do that, man, starting right now, it would be absolutely fantastic. Ball game, game time is on. Wendell's World of Sports, I've been glad. I've been happy. I've been thrilled to give you my thoughts and opinions about what's happening in the NBA. I will see you next time. Time for some music. 